Good morning, and welcome to The Crossing this morning. Uh, if this is your first time joining us in worship, we want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Josh. I am the sanitation engineer here at the church, and we are a church crossing generations and cultures together in Christ, and very excited to have you here. Uh, we are a come-as-you-are church, no perfect people allowed, so uh, if you think you're perfect, then it's probably not the right church for you. So uh, we do ask that, we do encourage you to wear a mask, but it's not required. Uh, in, during the service as we're trying to be in compliance uh, with the uh, regulations, the current guidelines for uh, our state and Alameda County. And so um, how do you feel most comfortable? And if you're very uncomfortable around those kind of things, like maybe you're a little bit more cautious, which is okay, you're welcome here as well. Uh, we do have an overflow room upstairs um, that is a little bit more uh, isolated. So uh, feel free to take advantage of that. I'm going to take a moment to highlight some of the news and upcoming events here at The Crossing. Uh, the first is a reminder that we're in what's called in the historic Christian church the season of Lent. And so it's a 40-day period of worship and reflection uh, where we prepare our hearts uh, to remember Jesus' death and resurrection. And it back, began quite some time ago, beginning of March on Ash Wednesday. And if you're interested, um, at our church website, we do post a, a little uh, blurb about how do you observe Lent? How do you practice Lent? It's usually a time that people spend in reflection, in prayer, uh, in fasting in some way, uh, or, and, and also in giving uh, to the needs of others as we kind of refocus our hearts and minds on Jesus' death and resurrection. <coughs> Excuse me. Very excited to tell you that uh, we are relaunching uh, the Crossing Cafe uh, starting in April, specifically on Easter Sunday. And so uh, on Easter Sunday, um, we're looking to reopen all that stuff up so after the service there'll be a time of hospitality where we give you an excuse to just hang out, uh, maybe get to know somebody better. There'll be coffee and refreshments. And uh, we're also looking for more team members to help um, for this vital outreach ministry uh, because we, we consider it vitally important as a way of uh, making people who are visiting our church feel welcome and loved uh, with the lo love of Christ. And so if you're interested, here's a great way to get involved in serving the Lord in a, in a small way. Um, there is a training that's going to be taking place that same Sunday. The Sunday that we're reopening, we'll also be training new people if you're interested. You don't have to serve that day, but you can get trained that day. And so that'll be uh, 9 a.m. in the lobby um, uh, that Easter, Easter morning. And so for more details, uh, please contact Jeannie Jang, who is our cafe coordinator. And for those of you who serve on a leadership core team, we do have a, a mandatory half-day uh, equipping retreat um, from 9 to 11.30 a.m. Um, Saturday, April the 23rd. And so uh, we are looking to provide refreshments and child care that day. We're going to try to, and I will be very disciplined about keeping it on time uh, because I know that uh, we're asking you to sacrifice part of your Saturday for that. So, so please do join us, those of you who are uh, leaders here at The Crossing. Also want to remind you that uh, we finally are going to be having our Bigfoot Youth Retreat. That's going to be May 20 through 22. And that's specifically a retreat for our students, our youth in grades 6 through 12. Uh, and that, as many of you know, is supposed to be in February, but it's been rescheduled now to May. And so it's a little bit shorter. It's three days, but please do pray for it. Parents, uh, early registration is now open, and the cost details are all available online, or it's also on that slide, I believe. And if you have questions, you can contact one of our youth counselors, Daniel Chang, for more details. I uh, also want to let you know uh, we've been, of course, continuously looking to how can we uh, improve and, and grow the church and make sure that you feel in, um, as, as vital members of one family, that uh, we're all included and, um, and aware of what's happening in our church. And so uh, to increase our transparency and accountability as a church leadership team, our board uh, has, is publishing our um, online mi monthly minutes uh, online now. And so members, you can now access um, those uh, monthly notes. We do 
post them, and if you never, if you never saw, we do post them in the lobby every month. But for those of you who uh, have forgotten how to read in this digital era, <laughs> and on print, well, I guess that, how would that work if you read it online? But anyways, uh, you can access that online. Uh, the to get that link to that, because we're not posting it publicly um, for, for church members, you can just speak to either your growth group leader or any other leader or deacon. Uh, they receive uh, that link via um, the online announcements every week. So um, you can speak to one of them. Also very excited to let you know that uh, some of you know that we relaunched finally um, having adult Christian education classes this, this um, uh, winter. And so our current series, A Culture Shock, uh, which kind of addressing how do you talk about uh, very hot button issues in our society today uh, with a Christian perspective, um, is down to the final two classes. And so uh, today, today and next week is going to be focusing on uh, the very important topic of politics. Because in our very polarized, divided world, um, even amongst people at church, that there are I know that even in this congregation, we tend to be split pretty much down the middle of, uh, of where you stand on the political spectrum. And you know how I feel, that, um, that politics are important, but they're not God. And so not to let your politics be an idol of informing, shaping your, your theology, rather that your theology and the Bible should be shaping how you address politics. And so, um, but we're going to be talking about that today in, in that class uh, after the service. And so that's going to be 11.15. We're down to the final two classes. Um, if there's two classes that you probably don't want to miss, this is probably it, because this is probably the big one for, for many people. So that's 11.15 a.m., room 202 upstairs at 11.15. Um, now, as part of our worship, uh, one of the things followers of Jesus can do is to give to the Lord, that, that the Lord calls us to give back, even though everything in the world and everything we have is already his, and he just entrusts us with it, um, we can give back to him as an expression of our thankfulness and our worship to him. And you can do that in two ways. There's an offering box in the lobby uh, that you can feel free to anonymously drop off in any time. Um, or you can go online to our give page. Um, but as we gather together in worship, uh, we worship through the reading of his word, through uh, singing songs of praise, uh, through um, prayer, but also through giving. And so um, that's a great way that you can uh, worship God here today. Now, if you're just visiting, uh, please don't feel obligated to give. Like, it's not an appeal to, to get more money, but instead simply enjoy the rest of the worship. But for followers of Jesus, this is one of the ways that we worship the Lord on a regular basis. And there's a lot of things we can be praying for as a church. Uh, please do remember to pray uh, for the physical suffering or mental uh, suffering of church members. Uh, it's been a tough two years. And so I know a lot of people are wrestling with health issues, or maybe you uh, faced COVID, or you lost a family member to that, or uh, you have uh, anxiety issues, depression, um, and so uh, addiction issues. So please do pray. Uh, we want to support each other and cover each other in prayer. Uh, pray for our youth pastor search. It has been a long number of years, but we trust the faithfulness of God to raise up the right person to help shepherd our young people in this church. Uh, pray for marriages at the crossing, uh, specifically because I know that this has been a rough season for many of the marriages here in our church. And as, as we're looking for a youth pastor, please do pray for our youth ministry as well. I love all the students that come. Uh, sixth graders through 12th graders, uh, we really value you and appreciate you. And, uh, and we're praying for you as well as those who volunteer and serve you every Friday night. And of course, uh, we don't just focus our eyes inwardly, but as we look outwardly on the world, our eyes are on the nation of Ukraine. And so we want to keep um, the suffering of innocent people there in mind, as well as praying against the oppression of that, that comes um, from evil, selfish ambitions. And so pray for uh, that nation as well. 
And if you don't remember anything that I've, ever, I've said today, uh, because I talk a lot, um, you can always go to our website. Um, the events page is at thecrossing.website. Really easy to remember. Some people are like, is that a real website? Yeah, it's a real website. I don't know why we have .website instead of .org.com, whatever. But just, it's a real website. So you can go there. Or uh, you can go to our Facebook page and check out um, the announcements are posted there every Tuesday, as well as additional comment every day to kind of help encourage you in your spiritual walk. And so uh, please do check it out there. Now, this morning, uh, before we dive into the Word of God, um, very excited to, to inform you that uh, many of you know that serving in our church, especially on the leadership team and being a deacon, is uh, really difficult. It's a trying, and, and a lot of the spiritual attacks come into our lives, and uh, for those who are in a, in a position of authority and responsibility. And so um, this has been a season where our, our uh, children's ministry deacon, uh, Valley Wong, has had to step aside uh, to, because her ministry has been called elsewhere and to deal with other issues. And so uh, in so doing, our church policy is in, if it's in the middle of a term that we don't uh, hold a church election, but instead what we do is the board uh, goes through the same process of nominating and praying through who, who are potential uh, uh, deacons and then and to raise them up and uh, vote uh, just as the board to install someone uh, into that position to finish out the term. And so uh, we praise the Lord. Um, we're so thankful for the incredible service that Valine has provided for the church. She's been such a blessing, and we still, she is still doing ministry just in a different uh, um, method right now. And uh, at the same time, uh, the Lord has raised up our sister, Rachel Jang, uh, to uh, fill in as the, to finish off that term as children's ministry deacon. So uh, we're going to install her this morning by praying for her as a church. And so I'm going to invite Rachel to come up to the front, and also those of you who are deacons who are present here, uh, I believe that's missions deacon, evangelism deacon, uh, discipleship deacon, general affairs deacon, uh, I would like you to come up to help pray over her, just lay hands on her real quick. So let's have you come up on stage. Um, many of you know Rachel, uh, she served faithfully um, cross-born all kinds of different things, uh, particularly uh, in our uh, young adult ministry for some time as one of the core leaders, uh, helping organize retreats, stuff like that, um, and, and very frequently now has been involved in a lot of children's ministry activities, has a heart to see uh, the gospel go out to uh, people of all kinds of backgrounds and, and, uh, and, and to minister to them, and so we're very faith thankful for your faithfulness in ministry. Uh, we're going to pray for you now as uh, uh, we're officially announced it to the church. And uh, I'm going to ask the deacons if you could just lay hands on her as I pray for her this morning. And then afterwards, we're looking for your, uh, forward to uh, the sermon that you're giving. So, Okay, let's pray for her. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ministry of the gospel going forth from this church. That men and women, uh, even in the midst of very difficult seasons, um, continue to love, serve, and sacrifice for the glory of Jesus and the good of many. And we thank you for raising up this sister, Rachel Jang, to uh, fill in and humble, humbly accept the position of children's ministry deacon to finish off this term. And we ask that as she comes into this world, we know that the word deacon in the, in the Bible, in the original language, means to be a servant. And so as she comes and serves you, love, loving and serving Jesus, by loving and serving others, may you fill her with more of your spirit, more of your power, more of your love and compassion for others, and more increase uh, what uh, gifts and, and time and energy she brings, would you multiply it to have a spiritual impact for the glory of Jesus? And so we ask that uh, you would give her an increasing share of your Holy Spirit and that 
she would see for herself the power of the gospel in the lives of others through her. And we pray especially that during this season as she uh, rises up to this occasion, as she steps up to this uh, ministry, that she herself would grow deeper in Jesus, closer to you and know and enjoy you more. And so we thank you for this sister in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you? Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> Very thankful for all of you um, who serve. Um, it's important as uh, being a deacon is, I know many of you serve in all kinds of roles, big and small, and um, some louder, some uh, more, less seen, and no less regarded by the Lord. Um, you are all uh, deeply loved and valued, not for your service, but because um, there's a God in heaven, a Father in heaven who loves you, and just thankful that you joining with us to uh, love and serve the Lord together. All right, let's pray, and then we're going to dive into the Word of God this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminders of how good you are. I am so thankful for the gift of music, especially this morning, and how um, you use it to minister to my own heart, to remind me of the greatness of God, a God who carries us through the most difficult situations, a God who is there for us, a God who has proved that through the cross, that you love us, that you're powerful, that you can overcome even the greatest obstacles, death itself, and our sin. And we thank you for the encouragement of seeing uh, brothers and sisters, men and women who love Jesus and serve Jesus, and may, it, and may that cause our hearts to sing in praise to you, that we get to participate in your kingdom. And this morning, I know that people are facing all kinds of trials and tribulations and decisions that we have to make, and we ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Help us, encourage us, give us help and hope this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want to start off this morning with a simple question for you. I want you to be thinking about what is the real reason that people tend to move out of their homes or maybe into a new place, and unless if you're involved in real estate like Brother Daniel back there, uh, don't shout out those answers, but I want you to be thinking about what are some of those reasons, right? Number one, a lot of times people will say, cite space. Either they need more because they, are, they have more family, uh, their family's growing, or maybe it's too large of a space, you're an empty nester, or, and so you need a downsize, so sometimes it's space. For some people, they move because they want to be closer to their work or because they got a new job in an out-of-state, or they want to be closer to their families. Like maybe uh, for some of you who are older and your kids have grown up, and you see your kids move into a different area and like realize they're not coming back, and so you kind of decide, I'm going to move over there too. For some people, it's because they want to be more comfortable. The, the, the janky house that you live, maybe grew up in wasn't doing it for you, or you need something that's more affordable. So sometimes it's finances. A lot of people make their decisions based on is this a nice area? Does it have good restaurants? Does it have convenient shopping? Is it a safe neighborhood? And these are all good and practical reasons about how to decide on whether or not to move. But I want to propose to you, how does God want us to make those kinds of choices? And not just about where we live, but how we live. How do you determine your decisions and the direction of your life? How you Invest your time and your resources. What guides you or gets you to relocate yourselves or your lives down a different path? So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And if you have a Bible, you want to turn in it to Nehemiah chapter 11. Don't worry, we'll put the scriptures on the big screen as well. Nehemiah chapter 11, we're in this series called Restore, where we're learning about how we experience restoration in our lives by returning to God 
to rebuild what is broken. And now, when God does this, He doesn't simply replace the broken parts with more weak, vulnerable, breakable parts. But when God builds something, He builds something new, something better. And that is a picture of the gospel, what Jesus does when He died for our sins and gives us new life. He doesn't just replace it with the, bro- the same brokenness of our old lives, but something new, something better. And previously, we saw that God gave Nehemiah a conviction for a suffering city in need of a Savior, and that with prayer and planning and preparation, he cast this amazingly grand vision to the people to rebuild both the physical as well as the spiritual walls of their families and their communities together to create a refuge in the city of Jerusalem to welcome people to worship God. Because restoration isn't just about building walls, it's about worship. And so today what we're seeing is that after they have finished rebuilding the city, after they've read God's word, after they repent from sin and renewed their relationship with God in a covenant vows, they need to figure out where do we go from here? (coughs) Excuse me. And if you find yourself in a similar boat this morning, maybe paralyzed or confused by your decisions or the directions that you need to go, there's hope and help for you this morning in the Word of God. Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out one of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. We're going to stop right there. Some of you were waiting for me to make a mess of reading through 100 biblical names that I can't pronounce well. But what's happening here is, uh, we've, as I mentioned, the city restoration project is completed. But you might remember, for those of you who've been with us, back in chapter 7, verse 4, there's a problem. In that verse, it says that the city's too wide, it's too large, and the people within are too few, and that there's been no houses rebuilt because construction has taken a back seat to building the walls. Now, here in the passage we're looking at this morning, in verse 1, there's already some people residing in the city, but it's not enough. And so they decide that we need about 10% of the population to come and move in. So, that, so what the rest of the people do is they cast lots. It's kind of like rolling dice, right, to, to select who's going to go and who's going to stay. Why do they do that? Who cares how many people live in the city? Shouldn't determining, you be able to determine for yourself and for your needs whether or not uh, where you want to live and where you want to reside? Now, I want you to pay attention to the emphasis. Look at verse 1. They were casting lots to live in Jerusalem, emphasis here, the holy city. That means that Jerusalem isn't just simply a political capital of a nation, but it's the center of life and worship. The holy city, where the temple of God is, where the uh, presence of God dwelt amongst the, the, the Jewish people. And so, What's happening here, even though in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, it says that God doesn't need a house, right? Heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. But he invites people like you and I to come to the city on a hill to meet with him, to experience fulfillment and enjoyment in relationship with him. And so the whole point that they're calling these people and having the cast lots is the point of relocating here is we want you as the people of God to experience, to honor, to prioritize God. In other words, to worship him. Because what's the point of building a city 
if no one is going to live there? What's the point of building this center of worship or our worship center? If very few come to worship and fellowship and minister to the surrounding community. Now, that sounds, of course, very religious and very exciting uh, for followers of God, but I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the Jewish people back then. They were returning exiles. Remember, their nation, as a nation, had been exiled for the most part into uh, the Babylonian Empire and for a generation until the Persian Empire allowed them to start returning. And so they have recently reclaimed their ancestral lands, settled down to build homes, to build lives around their communities. And then you're told suddenly, as God's people, we value the worship, the work, the will of God so much that we're going to ask one out of ten of you to leave behind your farms and your fields, to uproot you from your jobs and your property, from your comforts and your community, and to uh, invest yourself, your life, your family, your future into the ministry and mission of God in this city. That's a big ask. That's a pretty big ask, don't you think? And not only that, not only are we asking you to do that, we're going to determine it by casting lots. Now, uh, if you don't know what that means, it's kind of like they would roll dice or roll these sticks of different lengths. Uh, like if, and so it would seem to you and I maybe that it's just by blind luck or bad luck that you get the short end of the stick, literally. But what's happening when people cast lots back then, in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 28, verse 30, the high priest, the, basically the head pastor of the nation, uh, would carry those uh, lots like that over his heart. And, the, and as he did, he would use them from time to time to uh, trusting the sovereignty of God to provide direction about certain things. And we know back in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, that it says, uh, the lots are cast by men, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And so that was um, the way that they used to uh, communicate and to understand and receive guidance from the Lord. Now, do you and I need to cast lots in order to hear from the Word of God? Like some of you are thinking, like, that would be nice if I could just get a magic answer every time I, I, I roll the dice. Um, it doesn't work that way. That's, that was an Old Testament practice. And what, uh, with us, after the coming of Jesus, after his death and resurrection, with his the person and work of Jesus, God has given and guides us with the completion of scriptures. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that, that all of scriptures is inspired, breathed by God for instruction and correction, etc., etc. So that's what guides us. And secondly, by the presence of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, who is given to us to guide us, to counsel us, to convict us. And so uh, instead, we're not called to cast lots in order to receive guidance from God. But instead, the lesson here is that like them, like the Jewish people back in the Old Testament, the big idea this morning is that God calls us to relocate uh, from the comfort of our own preferences and into the conviction of His priorities for our lives. In other words, that both whether they were casting lots in the Old Testament or whether we are seeking God's will through Scripture and through prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit, that the, God, the goal here is that am I willing to trust God and His will are better than my own wisdom and my own ways. And here's the problem, right? Just like the, the Jewish people who have to sacrifice so much if they're going to move back into the city, it's easy to follow Jesus when the road is easy, when the reward is evident. But when there's a cost, 
when we're called to sacrifice our comforts, our convenience, our security, and our priorities for His. Do you know and trust that He is a good and glorious God? That He cares for you and that His plans for you are good. Karen Watson was a South Southern Baptist missionary uh, to Iraq, and before leaving for the Middle East, uh, she sat down to write a letter. Dear Pastors Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only open this letter in the event of my death. When God called me, there were no regrets. I shared my heart with you for the nations. To suffer will be expected, and His glory is my reward. And I recognize that I'm called not to comfort and success, but to obedience in this life. That there is no joy for me outside of knowing Jesus and serving Him. I love you too. I love my church family in His care. Karen. (coughs) Excuse me. This letter was dated March 7, 2003. And then a little over a year later, she was killed. Along with four other missionaries, March 15, 2004 question for you. Was it a waste of this young woman's life, or was it worth it? But the cost was so high. A life, a young life, cut so short. And yet, Jesus paid an even greater cost for us. He paid it all for all of our sins because He loves us, it says in Romans 5, 8. He came for us. He died for our sins. He rose to give us life. And in the words of missionary and martyr Jim Elliott, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Do you know that? Do you have that in Christ Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust that he's better than anything else that you value or seek in this life? (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all this other stuff that you need and desire will be given you as well. Now, what it's not saying is be irrational and irresponsible. Like, don't worry about your bills or doing your homework or going to your job or or earning a living. It's not saying that. But what it is saying is make seeking and trusting God, His will, His work, His glory, your priority above all this other stuff that we tend to chase after or fear or value in this life. Make Jesus priority above all that first. So our starting point this morning is what is your Jerusalem? What I mean is where is God calling you to follow Him to move into His will? And it's not necessarily a geographic relocation but relocation of your heart into obedience, into where he wants you to go. And in order for you to go there, what will you need to leave behind like these Jewish men and women? What comforts and conveniences or preferences are preventing you from trusting God's providence and his guidance for your life? If you seek first Jesus, his kingdom, and his righteousness, in your decisions and in your directions, you're going to discover that when God is most glorified, that you will be most satisfied because Jesus is better than all the treasures and pleasures of this life. 
Now, for some of you, um, maybe before your mind starts drifting to other people, maybe your husband or your wife or your child that you think need to listen and live for God more, I want you to pay attention to who is first in line to move into Jerusalem. Let's look at verse 1 again. Let's pull that up on the big screen. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to catch this for a moment. Even before God called other people, before they cast lots, before they called other people out of their comfort zones into kingdom convictions and commitments, the leaders of the community and the church already had relocated their proximity and priorities into the city of God, into the worship of God, into the work of God. And so one way that you can recognize genuine integrity in leadership is when someone doesn't ask others to do what they themselves are unwilling to do. You remember, we've been talking about this quite some time, that generals typically are not on the war front. They're usually coordinating strategy and soldiers from their headquarters in the back, right? Generals lead from the back. But spiritual leaders set the example from the front. And I know you've heard this before. We've talked about this in Nehemiah actually many times. Chapter 3, when God gives a vision to rebuild the gates and the walls of the city, who is in the front of the line getting their hands dirty? The leaders of the city the spiritual leaders. Chapter 4, God inspires Nehemiah that uh, we need to, to guard the city and stay the night overnight because there was external threats, people who wanted to tear down their work. But he doesn't just ask others to stay overnight for weeks on end. He does it himself. Chapter 5, the leaders are the ones who are repenting of the economic inequities in their amongst their people, and then set the example in generosity to people in need. The leaders in chapter 8 are the ones who lead from the front to worship the Lord. Chapter 9, they're the ones who also humbly and publicly repent of their sins and the sins of the people. Chapter 10, they're the first in line to sign the covenant, making these promises and vows to God about how they will live their lives in commitment and humility before the Lord. So a leader doesn't just give out direction, but lives out example in how we seek and serve and sacrifice for the glory of God and the good of others. And what I want you to see from this passage, I know, we've had this point a couple times in different sermons, but from this passage, what I want you to see is that it's not just occasionally, it happens regularly. That we see from chapters 1 through 11 that leaders consistently set an example in prioritizing and living out the will, the worship, the work of God from the front of the line, not the back. Eugene Peterson, that famous pastor and editor of the message uh, version of the Bible, describes the Christian life as a long obedience in the same direction, a consistency. And so, if you want to have more spiritual influence in your ministry, in your home, at school, or at work, it's not just things that you do once in a while, prioritizing God and obeying God, seeking His will. And then, you know, for some of us, we have done great things of of obedience and submission and humility to God, and God has done great things through you, and then we stop, and then all we do is tell people about the old days. We reflect on our glory days when I used to trust God, when I used to honor God, when I used to take risks for God in obedience to Him. But the key word in this passage or in this point is consistency. Is there, is there a consistency of prioritizing God's will and His worship in our lives? 
Hey, a little known qualification about deacons in our church that's kind of buried in our bylaws, I know that many people didn't realize this, is that one of our, our requirements for a deacon before we'll even consider somebody is the, do you regularly participate in the final financial offering to the church? To, and specifically says in the bylaws to be an example to members. Why is that buried or why is that put into our bylaws? That sounds like a very random requirement, right? Amongst many things. I want you to think about this way. You could be the smartest person in the room, the most responsible person who serves. You could be a visionary at outreach. You could be uh, the best Bible teacher in the church, better at least than most of the pastors here. But if you're not consistently faithful to God and to his will in some ways, then how can you possibly ask and expect that from others? Or, let's reframe it in a different context. Many of you are parents. You already know this. Try to teach your child to say please or thank you or to say sorry on a regular basis when you never do. Or to, you want to teach them to cherish the Bible or to cherish prayer or to tre- treasure church, but you seldom do. Or that you want your child to put Jesus as their highest priority and authority, and you only occasionally do. And see how that works out for you. With your influence in your ministry, in your family, in our society, is there a pattern of pursuing and prioritizing and practicing the will of God in your life? (coughs) Excuse me. Can people see that you consistently go where God tells you to go and that you consistently do what God tells you to do? Because it's impossible for your class or your group or your spouse or your kids to follow where you are yourself are unwilling to go. So lead by your consistent example. Lead from the front. Now, this passage isn't just about what to do for God, but also how we do it. Let's look at verse 2. Why were the people blessing the people of God who were relocating? It says that the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Did you catch that? You see, a lot of times we'll approach the will of God with dread. You ever do that? Like, okay, I will pray and seek what God wants for my, for my life or about this decision or about this job or how to handle this relationship. As if God is a parent who only talks to us to criticize or to correct or to coerce us or to kill our joy. It's like a parent that you go to, please, mom and dad, can I, can I go to this concert? And then the parent responds, God responds, oh, you like music? Then you can go to a piano lesson, right? Why, mom? Why, dad? Because I said so. And that's how often we view our Father in heaven. But here what we see is that he's not some oppressive tyrant who forces his followers to go and do things that they don't want to do. That these men and women of Jerusalem They love the Lord, they worship the Lord, and they trust that he's good. And as he calls them out from their comfort and convenience to a greater purpose and priorities and plans, they're the ones who raise their hands and respond, yes, Lord, send me. They willingly offered, even though they were selected by the lots to go. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul describes it this way. It's like the attitude of humility that Jesus has in Philippians 2, that the Son of God became a man. He humbly served. 
He obediently died, and then he, uh, so that we might live. And then it continues, if you read on in Philippians 2 to verse 14, that as you and I work out our faith and his will in our lives, that we would do so in humility like Jesus, to do it all without grumbling or complaint. And so like the believers had, who moved into Jerusalem, we also want to align our attitude towards God with our priorities for God. Because what we're doing here is it's not a religion of following rules, it's what? A relationship of following Jesus. We've talked about this many times. Where we're seeking God's will not out of I have to, but that I get to. Participate in God's kingdom with this Father in heaven who loves me to experience His glory that draws me near Him through Jesus. And so when God calls us to go somewhere difficult, to do something costly, you and I, or I, I won't speak for you, for myself, I might comply through gritted teeth while muttering under my breath, thanks a lot, Lord, you know. But when, it, when we do, it reveals something about our hearts, that we don't really trust God, we don't really love God, and trust that He's good. And we need to remind ourselves His ways may not be easier, but they will always be better. And so for you and I, as we move into the will of God, as we serve and sacrifice for the Lord, are you characterized by complaint or commitment? Like Jesus, do you humbly and willingly offer your trust and obedience and yourself to the purposes and plans and priorities of our Father in heaven? Now, some of us, this message is resonating with you because uh, some of us long to hear God call us to something risky and costly um, because we love that thrill. We love the idea of that. But I want to suggest to you this morning, this passage is less about where we're going and more about who's directing us. Look at verse 1 again. Uh, so they, to bring out one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. Uh, I just want you to Catch that for a moment. Question, were those other 90% less faithful for not relocating into the city? When they didn't move into Jerusalem, that means those 9 out of 10 didn't love God as much, didn't value the worship and the work of God? No, of course not, right? They all cast lots. They were all seeking and trusting the will of God. Some of them moved into Jerusalem, but all of them responded faithfully and obedient to their specific calling. You see, uh, especially for those of you who are younger or maybe uh, younger in faith maybe or younger in age, we often romanticize pursuing God and His purposes. That it may be costly, but moving out from my comfort zone means moving into uh, this new situation, a more exciting situation. Should I quit my job? Should I plant a church? Should I start a business or start a family or change the world? Something new, something adventurous. But like the Jewish people who remained in their towns, there are times that you and I need to discern when moving in God's direction actually means staying in our situation. That there's times that the most faithful and fruitful and hardest thing that we can do is to stay in our ministry, in our marriage, in the ordinary, in humility, in discomfort, in conflicts. Back in 1995, um, our first 
English language pastor in this church was called to plant a new church in the, in the city of Fremont. And I want to tell you, I was really excited back then. You know, I was a young believer in my uh, early, early 20s. And, uh, and I was excited because I was actually part of the planning team for that um, new ministry and that church plant. And I was excited because uh, my group of closest friends all happened to be in this church at that time. We'd all become believers around the same time. And they were, we were all planning to go and, and plant this exciting new venture, this new church that God was calling the first pastor. And yet, uh, the interim pastor who was stepping in after this, this pastor was stepping down, um, he, gave, he gave me a phone call once and wasn't home, left a message. Would you be interested in serving in our church's youth ministry? Knowing that I was on the planning team for the leadership of this new church. And I remember that moment. The moment I heard that message, it was on old school answering machine back at home. I felt the Holy Spirit convict me. My heart was leaping for joy, although my mind was saying, no. <laughs> but I knew that God was calling me to stay. And I remember that year because I was still a pretty young Christian at that time. I'd only received Christ as my Lord and Savior in 92. And that, was, that year was one of the most lonely and painful and fearful because all of my close friends left this church. Out of actually about 20, 25 young adults that were part of this church at this time, uh, only two remained, and I was one of them. The rest had gone off to this new church. And yet, I had the privilege of joining Alan Wan and his wife Ellen on the youth ministry team together at Footprints. And I knew that I was in the center of God's will and that if I had left, I would have missed out on developing lifelong friendships with many young people who grew up to be my closest friends. I would have missed out on seeing this small group of students, about 15 students, grow to about 80 students in our heyday of footprints. And when Jesus called me into full-time ministry at this church, my prayer, many of you know this, is that please, Lord, let me stay. Let me pastor just one church for a lifetime. Because I don't know if you know, but the average lifespan of a pastor is about, they stay about five to six years in church. And I've watched many people come and go from our church. It breaks my heart every time. It's been discouraging at times. But my calling and commitment were already clear. I need to stay. And that if I had left, I imagine if I had left those, how many years ago is 95? Somebody do the math for me. 20? 25? Something like that. I would have missed out on so much. I would have missed out on being involved in many of your lives and seeing many of you grow and becoming friends and family with you, seeing many of you get saved and get baptized or get married, have kids, to be able to stand us, us beside you, grieving your losses, standing behind you and cheering for your victories. I would have missed out on all those things of growing together. I would have missed out on people I've grown to love the most, my friends and family here at this church. Some of us, we're afraid to go where God calls. And some of us are afraid to stay where God calls. And as you face important decisions in your life, the key, like Nehemiah's people, is to ask, what is God saying to you? Many of you know when you come to me, Pastor, can you tell us what, what am I supposed to do in this situation? I will always bounce it back at you. Well, what does Jesus say? Is he calling you to go or to stay? 
Either way, he will move you out from your comfort zone into his convictions. But whatever he calls you to, are you willing to trust and obey him? Excuse me. In this book called The Colors of Hope, uh, Richard Dahlstrom, he describes a safety-first mentality. And he points out a couple of things, though, when we try to play it safe all the time. He talks about uh, NBA legend Pistol Pete Maravich. He's an extraordinary athlete, a specimen of fine health, never drank, doesn't smoke. But he, he died at the young age of 40 while he was actually shooting hoops, even though he's so healthy. Meanwhile, the oldest woman recorded, Jean Calment, she died at the age of 122. She stopped smoking at 117. And only because her eyesight was so bad, she could no longer see clearly enough to light her own cigarettes. Now, don't, I want you to hear me correctly, okay? I'm not saying it's bad to be safe or healthy. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, and from this book that I was telling you about, that the good life is never defined by Jesus in terms of its length or its comfort. Instead, what Jesus says is that those, Luke chapter 9, those who seek and save their lives will lose it. But those who lose their lives, who spill it out generously in loving and serving and sacrificing for God and for other people, those are the ones who find it, who find life that is truly life. So I want to close with this. How is God calling you to relocate? to move out from your com- the comfort of your own preferences into the convictions of his priorities in your life. What is your Jerusalem? Decisions and directions where Jesus is calling you to prioritize him, to move for him, for God's glory, for other people's good, for your growth. And how is Jesus calling you to encourage others? by setting an example from the front of the line in trusting and obeying and moving into the will of God. And perhaps, how do you need to change your attitude to joyfully and willfully offer yourself to live and give and serve and go where God calls you? And lastly, how do you need to seek and surrender to Jesus about where to go, whether to stay or to go? Because there's times that faithfully moving in God's direction means faithfully staying in our situation. And so as you reflect during the next song, may the Lord help you to relocate your heart from the values of this world to a vision for His kingdom. Not based on your preferences of your geography or your practicality, but kingdom priorities guided by a good and glorious God. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the beauty and power of your word in its simplicity, in its richness, but also for its power to transform our lives. And we come here this morning not simply seeking out more information, but transformation. That we might experience the goodness of the gospel, the, the reality of the power and the love of Christ in our lives. And we recognize that you're calling us to put our money where our mouths are. Not to just say we follow Jesus, but to do it. To follow wherever you go. To stay wherever you tell us to stay. 
to do it with a heart like Christ in humility and joyfulness. God, even now, would you move people's hearts and minds towards that place that you're calling us to relocate ourselves, our priorities, our purpose, our plans. Help us to hear you. Help us to obey you because we trust you, that you love us, that you're good, that you're powerful, that you're God. In Jesus' name.